gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast. I've got a few things to say about Superman, The Superman Vidcast, The World's Best Podcast, and Radio KL from SupermanHomepage.com, as well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com Rocketed as a being from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. And welcome to Superman in the Bronze Age. This is episode 39. I am your host, Kyle Rayner. And I am the pre-crisis Hal Jordan. <laughs> Actually, I'm J. David Weeder. And I'm still the pre-crisis Hal Jordan. And with me is Charlie Niemeyer, uh, getting confused Fine. on which, which podcast we're on. <laughs> kind of like the stepfather. Who am I here? <laughs> well, yeah, what's going on? <laughs> and this is the only podcast covering Superman's Bronze Age from the 1970s up to Infinite... Uh, Infinite Crisis on Multiple Earths? Which one is that? <laughs> yes, that's the one. Crisis on multi- um, Infinite Earths uh, in 1986, when everything got rebooted. So we're still in the classic era. Yay! And of course, we, uh, you know, we're brought to you by our great sponsor, which is DCBS. And if you want to keep up on all of your favorite comics, graphic novels, and collected editions, but you don't want to pay full retail price, look no further than Discount Comic Book Service. DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers comic fans the comics they need at the prices they want, with monthly specials that range from 45 to 75% off the retail price and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock. DCBS is the one-stop shop that every fan longs for. You can find them on the web at www.dcbsservice.com, and please be sure to visit their sister stores, In Stock Trades, and my digital comics. And right now, the DC celebration continues at DCBS. DC's The New 52 number six issues are available in a bundle for 50% off. And all new DC and Marvel trade paperbacks and hardcovers are an extra 5% off this month, this being the end of December, so I would rush out there right now. Now, with all of our official business out of the way, I think we should get down to what we do, which is read Bronze Age comics and talk about them, beginning with Superman right after these two promos. After these 
1992. The greatest hero the world has ever known. Died defending his city from a force of nature. That force of nature had a name. Doomsday. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast is a weekly internet radio program presented by the Superman homepage in association with the Superman Podcast Network. Every week, hosts Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor examine the comic book adventures of Superman from Man of Steel number one in 1986 to Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. Now they begin their coverage of the epic Death and Return of Superman trilogy with the first chapter of that story, Doomsday. From the first round to the ultimate sacrifice, Mike and Jeff will go through Doomsday in detail with the occasional special guest and a few surprises as well. Doomsday comes to From Crisis to Crisis beginning December 2011 at both www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and www.supermanhomepage.com. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. For the latest news and rumors for all things DCU, listen to the world's best podcast. And remember, stay, stay super. super. Presenting Superman. And first up, we have Superman number 262 with a March 1973 cover date. The on-sale date was around January 11th, 1973 with a cover price of 20 cents and an interesting-looking cover by Nick Cardi showing Superman basically cutting a building in half with his bare hands. Karate chopping it, if you will. Judo chop! The title of the story is The Skyscraper That Screamed for Its Life, written by Elliot S. Magan, with art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Our story begins at the Demios... Demios? Yeah, Demios building in Metropolis, where Peter Demios stands on the patio of his penthouse office using a small telescope to witness Clark Kent arriving for their interview. Suddenly, a chair from his office rolls out onto the patio and, without any help at all, knocks Demios over the side of the building. With all eyes on this falling Demios, no one seems to notice Clark dash into the building's revolving door, spin around it at super speed, exit, have a pimp say, uh, say, man, say Jim, that is a bad Jim. outfit. That's better. Woo! I knew it, and I couldn't say it. <laughs> Damn it. And streak into the, up into the sky. Superman catches Demios and returns him to the patio, then streaks back down to the revolving door and changes back to Clark as he enters the building lobby. As he reaches Demios's private elevator so he can get up to the penthouse, the building suddenly starts quaking, and the pipes emit a terrible squeal. Once things settle down, Clark rides up to Demios's office, where, before he can even introduce himself, Demios jumps right into his autobiography. Demios grew up in, a po- in poverty in Greece. 
but his father always made sure that he was studying and learning. Later, after his father died, he won a UNICEF grant to study at Hudson University in the U.S., which I believe is the current stomping grounds of everyone's favorite Robin, Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. which we'll probably get some emails about. Yeah, And he did very well there, but he could only work in a cheap boarding house. In the ten years since that time, Demios has become a billionaire with a reputation for never making a mistake. He then reveals to Clark that adjoining his lavish office, he actually lives and works inside a small room that resembles the old boarding house, complete with torn wallpaper and what appears to be the rotted wood floor. He also declares that he's really a simple man who doesn't need yesmen to run his life and make mistakes. Therefore, starting today, the Demios building is being converted into a self-running machine. At this point, the building begins to quake again, causing the work crews outside to fall off of their platforms. In all the commotion, Clark is able to switch to the Superman and fly out to save the workers. Once his rescue is complete, the building's pipes and uh yeah, once the rescue is complete, the building's pipes start screaming again. So Superman decides to have a word with Demios about this. As he's flying up the side of the building, all the furniture in one of the offices mysteriously throws itself out of the window to attack Superman. So Superman busts through the furniture, allowing it to all fall to the ground. Landing on Demios's patio, he asks what is going on, and Demios reveals that the building has always had some strange quirks. But once he started planning the building's conversion to a machine, things really started happening. Ironically, Superman orders Demios to evacuate the building until it's safe, and Demios protests before he finally gives in to evacuate the building as it continues screaming. Last out is Demios himself, who starts screaming in pain before walking out into the street, into the path of an oncoming van. Superman snatches him from the danger, only for Demios to get angry at him and throw Superman up into the sky. This leaves Demios falling toward the ground again, but Superman returns and catches him, at which point Demios threatens to destroy Superman before transforming into a ninja cab and firing some kind of blast from his forehead that sends Superman crashing into the building. Via Thought Balloon, Superman tells us that a ninja cab are spirit-like remnants of a dead alien race of sorcerers who inhabit man-made objects such as buildings and spaceships. Also, since they have supernatural powers, they can hurt Superman. So Superman tries to fly around the creature and surprise it, but ends up getting another face full of that blast. While he recovers, he asks the Ninucab why he's doing all of this, and it explains that it must be surrounded by life to survive, which is why it inhabited the Demios building due to all the people inside. But Demios' plan to remove the people and turn the building into a machine would literally kill him. So, it tried to kill Demios first, to the point that it has now taken over the billionaire's body. It then blasts Superman once more, knocking the Man of Steel out of the sky. As it falls, it turns back into Demios, and also starts to fall. But Superman recovers quickly, and puts his last-ditch plan into action by flying above the building, then crashing down into it, causing the building to crash to the ground. With the building destroyed, Superman still has time to catch Demios before he can hit the ground, as, build- as the building's scream die out for the final time. Superman then takes off, returning quickly as Clark to finish the interview, but he gets all tangled up in the wires, and while he tries to free himself, Demios starts announcing that he's going to be donating his entire fortune to UNICEF, and will now spend his time living simply and writing books on his philosophy of life. At this point, Clark finally gets untangled and is ready to start the interview, 
leaving Demios to call him a clod. The end. And probably better that it is. Yes, 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 yes. All right, what do you have on notes for this one? I, I didn't go page by page because I just did not like this issue. It, it felt half-hearted. It was kind of ridiculous. I mean, there are some small things that uh, that bother me. Hmm. If you look on page five, Debios is leading Clark into this little hovel of a room. On the next panel, he has his jacket off. Okay. And then on the next page, he's putting the jacket back on. Is he David Caruso from CSI Miami now with the sunglasses? I, I don't know what and, and I, where did the robot camera come from but yeah I noticed that camera too I actually have a note about it it's just following them around and no one seems to notice and it's only in like three panels and then we never see it again yep it must be right up there with the WGBS van it's the the height of technology yes oh and I did find out Mego made a Hulk van that really, really if I could find that I would customize it into the, the WGBS van oh that would be awesome so if those of you out there who know where to find this, let me know. Yeah, let's hook let's hook Dave up. Yep. But overall, I mean most of this issue had me face palming. It just it was just like, oh really? Furniture? You're gonna throw furniture at Superman. In fact, up and I, I did like on page nine when the tile starts popping up, that was kind of cool, but that's against Demios. And of course we know Demios loves his Olympus mirrors. <laughs> Yeah, he just about freaked out when that thing busted, didn't he? Yep. Not my gumdrop buttons. <laughs> I just... I kind of like the concept of, of the... Uh, is it Ninicab? I was never able to say it. Yeah, Ninucab is how I would say it. I like that concept. I think it could have been presented a lot different and a lot less, like, Mixuspitalic. If you look at the image of him... It, mm-hmm. It's just overall, I mean, I checked out of the issue, to be honest, because I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm going to read it because I have to, but I just had nothing really good to say about it. <laughs> wow. Well, I did do some pages, uh, some note pa- uh, based on the pages, just because a couple things caught my attention. Um, page three. All that's missing from this really is the pimp telling Superman that he's wearing a bad outfit. Mm-hmm. Woo! And he's even catching someone falling down the side of a skyscraper. So this is basically the scene from Superman 1, except it's a dude instead of Lois. And there's no helicopter. I was about to say, uh, you don't have double jeopardy. And so I'm almost wondering if maybe somehow Donner or Mankiewicz or someone got a, grabbed the grabbed onto this issue and just was like, hey, this looks cool. We could do something really cool with this. With the revolving doors and the... Mm-hmm. And flying up and saving the day, yeah. Then again, it could just be a coincidence. Um, well, in the, in the original f- script, the helicopter wasn't part of it. They added that a little bit, you know, during the production. Oh, really? So that's a distinct possibility. I know they probably would have gone back to the source material. Yeah. Well, it could It could have even been still part of Mario Puzo's mm-hmm. stuff, and I do know that he went in and uh, talked to Elliot and Carrie Bates... Um, for information about Superman when he was starting to write the script, so it's even possible, depending on how far back he was writing, Elliot might have actually handed him this issue. True. Um, page five. This was a pretty awkward way for Demius to start the interview. Clark basically walks in there, and Demius says, "Let me pull up the page so I can quote it for you." Um, 
He just says, Kent, I'll get right to the point. I'm granting you this interview because I've got some things to say. And then, the next page, I've got a story to tell. A story that begins when I was a little boy in an island off the coast of Greece. And it's like, does he really need to tell Clark his origins? Especially since Clark says, your remarkable success story is well known, Mr. Demios. It just seemed, I mean, I know why they did it, to let us know more about his background, but it was just an awkward way to do it. Yeah, normally you can bury exposition if you need to. Yeah. This was just here, let's just put it right up front. Mm-hmm, pretty much. Uh, page six, and actually that was page four that had the awkward way to start an interview. Uh, page six, I thought this guy was a pretty arrogant jerk. Uh, he's let his all of his success go to his head at this point, and basically feels like he can do it all on his own and does not need help. But then, on page... Oh, wait, that comes up in a minute. Page 9, first of all. So we have all the furniture hidden towards Superman. Superman busts through most of it. But he just keeps flying up the building and letting it crash down. Now, the whole rest of this story, every time we see something going on outside, there's like this whole crowd of people. And it's really fortunate that there was no one on the sidewalk at this point, because, I mean, there's chairs and filing cabinets. I mean, full filing cabinets <laughs> falling out of the side of this building way up. Typewriters. To the point where, yeah, to the point where someone's going to get killed if they happen to be walking by. So it's, you know, it's really fortunate for Superman that there was no one there. Um, page... Uh, let's see. Oh, also on page 9. Yeah, that was also page 9. The irony here. After saying he doesn't... After Demio says he doesn't need anyone to make mistakes and all that stuff and he's going to create this... Uh, the building into a machine so he's the only one that will ever be there. Uh, when Superman tries to evacuate the place... He seems to protest because it means his employees will be leaving. And therefore his business will suffer. And it's like, well, you don't need him anyway. What's the point? Well, he hasn't gotten everything in place yet, I guess. But Oh, yeah, it just seemed kind of ironic. It's like, make up your mind, Demios. Uh, and then, not until we get to page 16, though I have my last note. Uh, I liked that, that Clark got tangled up in the wire, but it wasn't an act. It was actually Superman really... <laughs> getting caught and being a klutz and he really was sitting there trying to untangle himself That was this was not an act at all he was just finally ready and then he still gets called a clod I just thought that was funny sometimes you just can't win exactly and then um, at the end of this at the end of the story which we'll get more into with the ads but I'm just going to mention this we, um, last issue or maybe it was two or last not either last episode or two episodes ago we mentioned how they've started putting these super attraction boxes at the end of the story to let you know what's going to happen in like action and then the next issue of Superman and we commented before how they were using like Wayne Boring art and it seemed a little out of place that they're trying to advertise Bronze Age Superman stories using old golden or bronze or silver age art well this issue they actually are using Bronze Age Superman art Mm-hmm. Those are definitely Kurt Swan, Murphy, Anderson images of Clark and Superman. So I just thought that was interesting. But beyond that, I actually kind of liked the story. It was just a fun little Superman story other than the furniture thing. Uh, I thought the art was really good. And while the fight was not really dynamic looking, I thought the part where Superman brought down the building looked pretty awesome. And I do, I do wonder if UNICEF had anything to do with this story. 
thank you. You put it nail on the head. That's what bothered me. It felt like they used to give out, you know, with various causes, they give the mm-hmm. elementary schools free comics. Yes. That's what this felt like was, you know, Supergirl reminding you how important it is to buckle up or Superman versus the quick bunny. Yes, or Superman and the help of the kids with their TRS-80 computers. From Radio Shack. From Radio Shack. <laughs> and we get to cover those. Yay. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> with Bronze Age Superman stories. <laughs> well, more, more, more with the yay than the... Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know they're not the best, but hey, what not? When in Rome, or the Bronze mm-hmm. Age, whichever comes first. <laughs> yeah, do as the Bronze Ageians do. But other than that... um. But yeah, I, I'm thinking UNICEF actually gets specifically mentioned twice, and it, it has a lot to do with this Demios guy. So I'm thinking maybe they might have had. No, they don't actually come out. There's nothing in here that says donate to UNICEF or anything. But yeah, read between I, the lines. Mm-hmm. Um. Now before we get into the other story, I noticed something on this Metropolis mailbag. I haven't noticed it before and maybe I'm just blind, but this one actually included like this whole, I don't know if you have the letters page, mm-hmm. but the bottom half has their whole, has their whole uh, management and circulation stuff. And it will actually tell you how many copies of each issue were printed during the last 12 months. Uh, there were 704,000 copies of Superman printed in the last 12 months. I think this may have been required by law at one point. Yeah, I know they did. I know they did it a lot later, like uh, in the '90s and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't noticed it in the Bronze Age before. This was the first time I've really noticed. I know they don't always do it. No, it looks uh, like it may be an annual thing. That's interesting. Yeah, and it, it in fact it's so important that they put it in there that they even take the little uh, artistic part or the art art banner at the top of the Metropolis mailbag page out. I don't know. I only just noticed it now too, so I don't even have a note about it. But um, are we finished? Did you have anything else you wanted to say about that first story? No, I, I think you nailed it on the head with the UNICEF promotional. It was a yeah, it was a promotional piece for UNICEF. Pretty much. Now a glimpse at the man behind the mild-mannered facade of the gentleman reporter. When he's not being the mighty Superman, what is he being? For the answer, treat yourself to this tale in a series that shows the drama, the excitement, and the humanity of the private life of Clark Kent. And our backup feature is The Puzzle of the Telepathic Twins, with story by Elliot S. Magan, art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson, and edited by Julie Schwartz. One evening, as Clark is returning home from work, he is spotted from across the street by April and May Marigold twins that live at 344 Clinton Street. May has a bit of a crush on our favorite mild-mannered reporter and decides to go over and say hi. As she's crossing the street, April just shouts to her to look out and run. So May starts running to the other side of the street just as a car with failed brakes squeals around a corner and careens wildly down the street before the driver can finally bring it to a stop. This all leaves Clark wondering how April knew of May's danger before ever seeing the car. As it turns out, both of them can sense danger, and since they're identical twins, they can especially sense it to each other. They first learned about it roughly a year ago when Metropolis University asked for their help in conducting some ESP experiments, 
uh, that they were doing with twins. While they didn't do too well with some of the experiments, they did foresee a danger that prevented the professor from breaking his leg by falling through the floor of the stage. Unfortunately, tests prove that as they get older, they are gradually losing their ESP ability. Upon returning to, the, to his apartment, Clark realizes that this is just the kind of thing that the WGBS Special Events Department is looking for, and calls Josh Coyle, his producer, about getting the girls on Stranger Than Fiction, which is a show that is the personal brainchild of Morgan Edge, but whose ratings have been hit in the bottom. After a few pages of filler that involves the girls agreeing to be on the show and signing release forms, and Clark meeting a not-so-funny comedian named Ruddy Hertz, Ruddy? named Rudy Hertz, and getting everything set up for the show, Clark begins the show by talking to the girls and the professor that they had saved about a year ago. During the show, Clark's powers alert him to the fact that the balcony in the auditorium is going to collapse due to the weight of the TV equipment. However, instead of having Superman save the day, Clark decides that it might be better if the girls save the day instead. So, continuing the show, Clark waits for the girls to notice the danger, hoping that their fading powers have not faded away completely. Then, realizing that sometimes telepathic people have to see where danger is and uh, is going to strike in order to sense it, and that the bright TV lights may be blocking their view, Clark, quote-unquote, accidentally, flips the commercial signal switch, which turns out the lights. Immediately, the Marigold twins sense the danger and warn the crew to get off the balcony quickly, which they do just as the balcony collapses onto the empty seats below. That night, Clark and Edge watch the tape being edited, and, Clark, er, and Edge congratulates Clark on the show. Clark then mentions that the university has been putting off closing the old auditorium since he was a student because they didn't have the money to build a new one. So Edge, delighted that the ratings boost... Delighting at, nah. So Edge, delighted at the ratings boost that has been given to his show, decides that he's going to buy them a new auditorium and call it the Morgan Edge Communications Center. So what do you think about that one? Mm-hmm. It's it's a heartfelt piece. Oh yeah, you can tell. It's, <laughs> it 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 was actually pretty charming. I won't lie. It was ridiculous, but charming. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people have to see the danger. Well, then that's not really ESP, is it, Clark? Yeah, that's called vision. <laughs> um, now, see, I have a note, pay, uh, page one. I got to, I had time, so I actually, page by page on this one. Uh, Clark does nothing to stop this car on page one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, he could. I'm sure, but we don't see him doing. I mean, and it's not even a subtle thing. Like you don't see the tires have been melted or anything like that. It's just the car. The car stops. Well, nobody's in danger when it when it actually happens because she's already warned her. And the car. Well, yeah, but does the have... guy in the car is in danger. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, he's driving a bright pink car. That's cool, for the '70s. Um, this is also the first appearance of the Marigold Twins and they will be recurring characters throughout the rest of the Bronze Age. They're not going to be showing up as often as, say, Lois or Morgan Edge, but they will be showing up again and again throughout the rest of the Bronze Age. Page 2. Uh, it's funny that their powers only work when they sense danger. Stranger danger? Ranger danger, I guess. I don't know. But it was funny. I, I thought it was ironic that... Um, they have to see the danger apparently by the end of the story, but at the beginning, 
there was no nothing to see, and April was able to sense it. Yeah, the car was down. Oh no, it came around the corner. Did no? Never mm-hmm. mind. Never mind. I'm yeah. trying. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're trying for the no prize. My only guess is maybe because it was a danger to May that she noticed it because they said it was more intense when it's a danger to each other. So maybe that was it, or maybe Elliot forgot. In any event, I'm just pointing it out. Uh, page three and four, like I said in my notes, they're mostly just filler. Uh, all we see is the girls f- signing release forms. We see them setting up things for the show. And Clark meets a comedian named R- Rudy Hertz, who does a lot of animal jokes. And I didn't read the ones I read were not funny. And so the witch doctor wanted to see how far the frog could jump with just three legs. <laughs> uh, not funny. No. Um, but page seven. Now, I'm not on TV news, but if they're still editing the video, how have they already got a ratings boost? Because <laughs> uh, editing is usually something you do before you air the before you air the episode. So therefore, the ratings shouldn't have been boosted yet, unless it's just because they advertised it and people have already started watching the show, waiting for that one to come up. But that was my that was yeah. my thought that maybe word of mouth had gotten there, but. Even so. so. So everyone's been watching, waiting for that episode to come up. But yeah, I thought that was a little weird. But overall, I thought we had another good, fun little story. And like I mentioned, for for drawn characters that are basically pencil and ink and some color, the Marigold Twins actually look pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where I'm going to leave <laughs> that's it. Where I'm, I'm, that's where I'm, that's where I'm going to leave it. Yeah. If I was a drawing, maybe. But yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. Do you have anything else? No, I just I didn't have a lot of notes for this issue in general. Obviously, I did enjoy this portion, to be honest. So, I liked it better than the UNICEF story. Yes, yes, the UNICEF propaganda. Yeah. Well, then, um, if that's the case, uh, then we will be right back after a couple more promos. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. The Hulk on podcasts. Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk smash. The Hulk on Peter David. Hulk like to read Peter David comics. Hulk have problem making words. Hulk write down. Peter David wrote a seminal run on the Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era, filled with striking psychological overtones bold character developments, and sharp humor. Along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took the Incredible Hulk and the comic book medium as a whole to new heights. The Hulk on Peter David Podcasts. Uh, Hulk not find Peter David Podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash! Hey folks, in order to appease the Rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue in a bi-weekly format. Join me, J. David Weeder, on a journey through the saga of old J. Jaws at www.incrediblehulksmash.com. Incredible Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. 
Pad Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris, deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb, or anal leakage. Sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics Magazine. And we're back. And picking up, we're going to go into Action Comics number 422, cover dated, uh, well, take a guess, March 1973. The actual on-sale date for this issue was January 30th, 1973. It was 20 cents for a 32-page count book which is incredible. It was edited by Julia Schwartz with cover artist Nick Cardi. And this issue is entitled The TV Show That Menaced Metropolis. Written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, and inked by Murphy Anderson. And we open with Superman acting as a propeller for a local news choppy. Choppy, wow. As a... <laughs> <laughs> the news choppy. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Okay. We open with Superman acting as a propeller for a local news chopper when little Woody Nescott spots him and for the first time realizes that Superman is real. And you see, Woody here was born with a rare, unidentifiable blood disease, which we don't get much detail on. And it means he cannot leave the house for anything. He's a bit of a bubble boy. And Woody's only contact with the outside world is the television on which his favorite show is The Runaway, about an innocent man framed of a crime 300 years in the future who has escaped to ours and is pursued by a cop from that same era. Think the Fugitive meets Doctor Who and a little bit of Star Trek mixed in. Oh, you took my note. Sorry. <laughs> Woody has been operating on the premise that the outside world is fiction along with everything on television. Um, while watching this show, the Fugitive character is captured by the space cop, leaving it on a cliffhanger. And Woody begins to realize that after spotting Superman, the outside world is real. So obviously that's going to create some confusion as to specifics as far as what is and what is not real. And he has to save the protagonist of the show, thinking that portion is. So Woody escapes from his mansion. He escapes from the mansion. Meanwhile, Clark Kent is reporting on the new high-speed train system in Metropolis. When a man is pushed off the platform onto the tracks in front of a speeding train... And Clark does what he does and changes to Superman and saves the man who is Dan Mars, the actor who actually plays the space cop on Runaway. Smelling that something is afoot, Clark Kent goes to talk to actor Mac Nelson, who portrayed the other portion, the Runaway himself, and it turns out that Nelson is being kicked off the show because Mars's cop character has already become more popular. But he wishes his co-star no ill will, them's the breaks. And as they're talking, Nelson spots a white blob monster outside attacking a car. 
Clark makes a lame excuse, changes to Superman, and battles the monster as Nelson thinks to himself that he was the one who tried to kill Mars on the, on the train platform. Because without Mars, the producers of The Runaway would be forced to keep Nelson. And as Superman fights the odd blob, Woody slips into Nelson's room, obviously still confused, and he addresses Nelson as his television character and tries to warn him just as Superman throws the white blob into the Earth's orbit. And Nelson decides that he is going to use Woody to off Mars. Meanwhile, a pair of arbitrary, out-of-nowhere doctors explain Woody's condition. They explain that what Superman fought was actually one of Woody's mutated white blood cells. Whenever Woody is exposed to open air, even the slightest scratch can result in one of these escaping, and the monsters will obviously attack anything deemed as a threat. So Nelson has already tricked Woody into helping him at this time, and in his television costume, armed with a rigged prop gun that he fixed to fire like a real gun, Nelson sends Woody into the clinic where Mars is recovering. But on his way in, Woody gets a scratch from a thorn bush, which of course results in another giant white blood cell that attacks Nelson. And the scene switches, and we find Superman rushing to the Metro Clinic, which is where all this is happening, and as Woody is about to take a shot at Mars. But before he can, and before Superman gets there, the white blood cell monster crashes through the window. And Superman does arrive just in time and throws the blob into space, which is the end, sort of. An epilogue explains that Superman actually went out and found a rare alien herb that cured Woody of his affliction. And as for Mac Nelson, it turns out that his body had already left the Earth inside the white blood cell that Superman threw into space. And the show The Runaway continued with Mars in the lead role and became more popular than ever. And with the exception of Superman inadvertently being accomplice to murder, all ends well. Yay! Yay! Yeah, this was... Uh, I didn't go page by page, so why don't you go ahead? Oh, let me see if I did. I believe I did. I did! All right. Uh, page one. Wouldn't it have been easier for Superman to use maybe his super breath to make the rotor... Ro- yeah, the helicopter rotor go around it rather than pushing it? But it wouldn't have been as cool. Right. But this way he wouldn't have had to try to dodge that rear propeller because it looks like he's almost hitting it. He'd be pretty That could cool. just be the art. What's, yeah. what's the rear propeller going to do to Superman? Well, yeah, but he could damage the propeller. And why didn't he just land the chopper? There's that, too. Wow, okay. <laughs> I, see, I see your point. <laughs> yeah, see, there's all cor- sorts of things he could have done that didn't involve f- pushing the rotor around. Um, page four. Superman broke the laws of physics right here. Yep, once again. By causing the... 100 mile an hour train to come to a full and complete stop against his foot it is just all of a sudden which would cause all kinds of problems in real life such as you know the train cars crashing into each other people being thrown around the cars the driver the who... driver <laughs> flying out the window um, the basically Superman getting a new huge boot because it would have he would have basically busted through it yeah yeah yeah, basically this that that no 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 no. It's comic book physics though. It's an entirely different thing. Yes, yes. Comic book physics, anything can happen. Page five was where I noted that this show is basically the fu- the fugitive, but with the futuristic stuff. Uh, page thirteen. I don't know. After reading some of the stuff that Mac Nelson was doing, it's kind of see kind of cool to see him get his just desserts, even though that makes me sound bloodthirsty. And uh, overall, I just thought it was a crazy sci-fi story. 
fun store. It was fun, and it had a lot of great art, so I was pretty happy. And you weren't bothered by the fact that Superman unknowingly threw Nelson's body into space? Well, see, I thought that the thing ate Mac Nelson, so Superman was... It was our. I don't know. I didn't think Mac Nelson was really there anymore. Like he wouldn't have been able to be saved. No, but he still threw him into space. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, he threw the blob into space. True. He, it, he didn't know. It just. It, you kind of. It kind of brought up an interesting point that, in a world where Superman would exist, accidents like that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, he might have like the building, like the Demios building in the Superman story. More than likely, everybody was, uh, you know, evacuated. What if there was one straggler who was stuck in a bathroom and didn't know? Exactly. Inevitably, with a man that can throw tanks, something bad is bound to happen. And this this issue had a lot of real-world resonance because Woody was essentially the Woodrow, Woody, whatever you want to call him. He was essentially the bubble boy, and his perception of, of reality was a little skewed. If you look at the the real boy in the plastic bubble, whose name was uh, David Vetter of all things, um, he, I mean, they did the John Travolta movie, but the kid was very, very uh, askew. The idea that he was cut off from the world really did mess with his head and his perceptions. Um, more so than the movie would let you know. The the movie showed him as more well balanced. But in all reality, he was a little bit sociopathic because of of being – he had literally never touched another human being. He had no contact with the outside world. The the closest he had was being able to crawl through a small tube into basically an astronaut suit. So Woody here is actually – I mean obviously nobody's in the real world spitting out giant white blood cells. But he's actually a fairly good character study. On what can happen when you are cut off from the outside world because you have no real way of differentiating between reality and fiction because you have never you've never been on the street. There could be future people walking around all the time. Not to mention, look at those clothes. Mm-hmm. And that hair. I'm sorry, I took away from your seriousness, but yeah, I totally see what you're saying. So this actually ended up, you know, being a fascinating story in, a, in an odd way. And I actually have a ton of notes on the cover as well, which is more real-world notes. If you look at this cover, obviously this is the pre-Crisis came and stole with his <laughs> Superman collection. Um, actually, and one thing is is off the fact that you can see that he clearly lives in a, a more urban area than he did in the book. Because they have the picture yes. of the street outside. But he has a copy of The Amazing World of Superman on the floor next to him and actually that perfectly lines up with the map of Krypton he has on the wall because there was a giant map of Krypton poster inside that book Hmm. except that the map of Krypton it looks like it's half of that because looking at the poster here in my room it has two two halves of the same hemisphere or two halves of the planet and then the cover only has one that's right I went nerd on you (laughs) again this is Snagglepuss. This is his. This is a cell from an original Snagglepuss. Worst issue <laughs> ever. There's also a Superman record. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I haven't been able to look around to see if that. It seems like the white book with Superman in that pose. That's an actual book from somewhere, but I can't place it. That actually is similar. It's not an exact 
replica, but it looks so- somewhat similar to maybe Superman 30s to the 70s. I pulled it out. I pulled that book out. It is similar, but it, yeah, you're correct. It's not. It, it's not correct. It's not quite that. Right. It's not exactly, but yeah. But I like his book holder thingies. Haha. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> his bookends. He has Superman bookends, which I kind of want some. That would be cool. And he's got a Superman book and a Land of Krypton book. But what? Why has this boy been locked in the one room since the day he was born? Clearly, we know he creates giant white blood cells. But overall, I mean, I was more fascinated with this story. It kind of took me out of it because I'm like, wow, this is some deep stuff. And once again, we see on page six, my only real page-to-page note, they have video phones. And that actually yep. looks like a laptop. It does. A, a weird one, but yes. The webcam and an old-school rotary dial. <laughs> <laughs> overall, I agree. I mean, it was a, it was a kind of a, it was a fun M1 level, but at the same time, there were a lot of things that kind of messed with me in terms of the fact that Superman threw a dead body into space. I mean, accidentally, yes. But it's still like, ooh, that's macabre. And then, you know, Woody's history was, if you, you know, going through and looking at the real world, could have been a lot worse. He was a little bit more adjusted than he could have been, having been desensitized. Mm-hmm. I The only complaint I have is, it's supposedly every time he hits the outside air... That's when, and if there's a scratch on his body, that's when the white blood cells mutate. Um, if you're in air conditioning, that's still outside air. It's condensed, it's etc. But pretty much. And I didn't see that they had a, an actual. I mean, he didn't have an actual bubble that I could mm-hmm. see. No plastic. So I'm speaking metaphorically, obviously. So basically, if he had cut himself in his room. And he's got, we've, we see stuff, he's got, I mean, he could, some of that stuff he's got, even if you don't count the stuff on the cover, you know, there's such thing as a paper cut. Mm-hmm. He's got a can of something yep. next to him on the one page. You can cut yourself on a can. Um, I would imagine he reads books since he's not completely dumb. Yeah, and there's there's no iPads in the 1970s. Right. So, yeah, a paper cut, and then he could be eaten by the white blood cell. That would have been See? an interesting twist to the story. Well, you know me, I think dark. <laughs> but overall, I didn't have a ton of notes, just sort of that weird fascination with the issue. And in our human target backup, we start a actually ongoing story with the Shadows of Yesterday contract, written by Len Wein, with art by Dick Giordano. And Christopher Chance is back in Boston, driving his thir- 1937 Cord, a classic car for those that you may not be aware I wasn't, when a sniper seems to take a shot at him and cracks his windshield. Now Chase is able to dodge and gets the car to the side of the road. He rolls out and fires back in almost one motion. And apparently he hits his target because the rifle falls to the ground. And when Chance gets to the sniper's vantage point on the roof, he finds that nobody is there. Even more surprising is that the sniper's target is actually in the back seat of Christopher's car and asks to be taken back to Christopher Chance's place because he has a job offer. So Chance takes him back to his apartment, which is over Luigi's restaurant, and Luigi himself patches the poor guy up. There is no sign of Mario, though. And the man explains... (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the man explains that he is Hiram Walsh, an accountant for the Tall Towers, Incorporated, 
which is a front for a crime syndicate. And when he discovered this, Walsh became a marked man who hid in Christopher Chance's car. And he did to get a he did get a good look at the sniper. The sniper was tall, dark-haired, had a hearing aid in one ear, and a tattoo of a broken heart on his cheek. And this triggers grim memories for Christopher. So wanting to provide a better life for his son, Christopher remembers his father taking out a loan to invest in the stock market, and he couldn't when he couldn't pay it back, the man with the broken heart tattoo found Christopher and his father in a dark alley one night. The man, who was known as Dancer, shot at Christopher Chance's father, but Christopher tried to block the shot, trying to become a target for him. See how that works? And this was unsuccessful, and his father died. And Dancer could have, would have, was actually on the verge of killing Christopher, but the police came. Haunted by that night, Christopher trained and trained, and ended up losing all of his fear, obviously becoming who he is today. And then back in the present, Christopher Chance flips a coin to decide whether or not to take Walsh's job offer, and in the end, he tells Walsh that not only will he take it, he'll take that contract for free. And we are left with the cliffhanger to be continued next issue. Cool. This was actually a pretty cool story. <laughs> yeah. Page two, though. Walsh guy, where the heck did he come from? He, he was... On page one, he's not in the car. <laughs> so somehow he must have gotten into a moving car, or he was shot before the car stopped and then climbed in. I thought he was supposed to... No, he's not in the backseat. You're correct. Unless yeah, he's in the floorboard. One... There's that. And he, he would have inched his way up to the car after that. Okay, I can buy that. That makes sense. Um, let's see, pages 5 through 7. I thought this was pretty similar to Batman's origin to a point. Maybe Daredevil's, but mostly Batman's. With the, you know, the killer... Shoots, shoots the dad leaving the kid by himself in an alley and the kid knows who did it and all, the difference is that this time he actually attacks the killer but then the guy gets away and he doesn't apparently see him again till he's an adult and then a bat flies through his window exactly, a, a target mm-hmm. <laughs> someone throws a target through his window and, or he watches a target ad and he's like oh it's like an omen. <laughs> uh, but then page eight, I liked how basically Chance says he's going to flip that coin. Uh, let's see. If it goes up heads, he'll do it for free. And then tails, he will not take it at all. And we see that the, it landed he, uh, tails, but apparently Chance wants his revenge and decides he'll take it for free anyway. Wow, I'm ignorant. I totally missed that. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I, no- I did notice it at first because I was like, I wonder if he actually. Oh, it does. But yeah, that's definitely that's a ta- that's a tail. That's tails. It's the bird. And uh, yeah, he's gonna do this for free. So basically, he's gonna have his revenge, and that should make the next uh, uh, the next issue really cool. Indeed. Um, but other than that, other than the slight, you know, the not really completely original origin story. Um, I thought it was top-notch art, and I thought it was a pretty cool setup for the next one. I really got into it, and I didn't catch mm-hmm. the that he kind of broke his own rule there with the coin flip. So that's actually never a good sign that he's getting emotionally invested. Yeah. And I couldn't decide whether, you know, his origin... It really was generic, because if he'd gotten hit with 
you know, maybe a, a canister of, of nuclear stuff. He could have been Daredevil. It's that close. Mm-hmm. But then you have on page seven, my only real page-to-page note, because I just didn't have a ton of them. That scene is not only very reminiscent of Batman. If you look in the faces of on the background, they're actually the people he's helped so far. Okay, are they? Mm-hmm, because you see... Uh, and I can't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, the guy with the mustache and the guy with the eye patch. Yep. And then some okay. generic faces. So that was pretty cool. That was cool. Continuity alert. Yep. <clears throat> Overall, I didn't expect to like the human target. I have enjoyed every backup story to some extent. And this one just mm-hmm. gets me psyched because it's not just a one and done. We're actually not only seeing Christopher's origin, but we we see him kind of going off the rails a little bit. That he's mm-hmm. like, uh, this is personal. I'm going to jack this guy's world up. Payback time. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, rec- I'd say we should record it right now if it wasn't for the fact that we've already taken a lot of time. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we'll do a couple more promos, and then we'll be right back with ads. After these messages, we'll be right back. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're... Angel. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings can't change the way I can. Got me dark and most powerful cousin on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four is no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain the liberty drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.libsyn. Com. On May 30th, 2011, DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so 
much it it the it flame flames flames on the side of my face breathing breath heaving breaths heaving but then the books actually hit and opinions he likes it he likes it opinions began to change the New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson, J. David Weider, and Michael Kaiser take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures. Falling from the sky. Speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The new 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. All right, so first up, we're going to go through the ads real quick. Um, first, I, um, well, let's see, we're looking at both issues this time, and I'm noticing right off the bat we have two different ads on the inside covers. Superman has a bodybuilding course, and action. It has some sort of Ravel model winning, where you can actually win a projector, or maybe a, a sailboat. The Baja 500 Champion Spark Bug. Yeah, it's a paddle boat. That's so awesome. These are great prizes. I would love a paddle boat. Uh, and a sailboat. I said sailboat. Yes, you did. I was just saying if you were listening. And uh, a paint set. Yeah, I'm not so much into the paint set. The rest of the stuff is pretty no. awesome, though. <laughs> I wouldn't mind ha- having the bug. Yeah. The famous VW racer with speed equipment. I'd probably get in trouble with it, but that'd be cool. And they can record like Super 8. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, let's see. Next up. If you hear the pages flipping, I apologize, folks. Live with it. Next um, Next up in the Superman issue, we have a Draftsman ad. And in action, we have something from Aurora. That's the Aurora AFX ad that has the weird-looking art in it. That we've meant that has been has been on the back cover of the issues before. I think we mentioned it last episode. Well, not last episode. The one with Michael Bradley, thirty-seven. No, yes. <laughs> anyway, oh. we've seen that before. Are these little cars you can actually drive, or are these actual models? I would imagine they're models. It's saying it's the fastest car you can drive without a license. I wonder. If, okay, proceed. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. They could be those like like little power wheels, but I wouldn't think. That, I didn't know that they had those in the seventies. Maybe they're the kind you can get in and then push with your feet, Flintstone style. Nope. Try again. They're slot cars, apparently. 
Uh, not fun at all. Um, next up we have the awesome patches, which actually both books have the same ad this time. And we've had we've seen this one before. This is with the peace symbol on the Wiley e. Coyote and the Confederate flag and the happy face and the black is beautiful and help, I need lovin' and that kind of stuff. And Flash Gordon. And you can get a bunch of them for sixty-nine cents. Woo. Next up we have a two a, a half ad for how train how to become a veterinary a veterinary assistant. Everyone, every comic fan's dream job. I shouldn't judge, but I don't know that I, I would want my veterinary assistant to be somebody who discovered their profession through a comic book. Yeah, home training too. That's yeah. Hey, the hodgepodges but are different. The hodgepodges at the bottom are different. Um, in in one you can get vampire blood, but in the other you get one thousand free things. <laughs> That's literally what it says. Is that like when the Riddler has his uh, little government grant thing? Exactly. Actually, wait. Let me let me get this. It's one thousand and one free things for seventy-five cents. Well, that's not free, then, is it? Not really. Well, I guess maybe you could see what the free things are. I mean, is it a yeah. book? Well, well, if you think about it, it's a thousand and one seventy-five cents. So even at a penny a piece, you're only paying for 75 of them. That still leaves like 925 free. Fair enough. But yeah, oh, you get all kinds of different things. Novelty. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You get the exploding fountain pen. You get the old knife through the head prank. Uh, Flesh-eating plants, because that's something safe to sell to kids. Secret spy cameras. Yeah, it's all kinds of stuff. And then, the biggest bargain in comics, 100 pages. And this month is a Superboy Spectacular, which we'll probably get more into when we get to the elsewhere. 50 cents for 100 pages. Word up, homies. Which isn't bad, considering by 1980 it costs a buck for 64. See, that actually includes, looks like the Sandman is in that, not to be confused with the Spider-Man villain. Or the, yes, the or, Kirby-esque, the Kirby-esque version of the Sandman. Yep, and obviously Aquaman. Who's in that? Is who's that in the background? Um, is that Dial- Robbie Reed is on the left side, oh. so that's Dial H for Hero. Ah, uh, yeah. And Supernova is on the other one, and I'm not sure who that is. Who needs that? Who needs Supernova when you got Dial H for Hero? Exactly. It's Supernova could be a Dial H True. Hero too. Then we have. The gigantic book bargain page. You could get Debbie Preston, Teenage Reporter, in The Case of the Gypsy Warnings. And she actually gets to meet David Osmond. No, David Cassidy and the Osmonds. You also get Debbie Preston, Teenage Reporter, in The Hollywood Mystery. In which she gets to meet Michael Gray... Donnie Osmond and David Cassidy. She hangs out with David Cassidy a lot. And Donnie Osmond. Uh, I don't know that I'd trust Donnie Osmond. Yeah, he's got big teeth. Uh, the Brady Bunch in The Treasure of Mystery Island. They, I wonder if that's supposed to be from the show or... The Brady's become involved with the ghosts of 16th century pirates and their hidden treasures. I don't think that's Wow, that doesn't sound like an episode. So that's the new story. 
And then the Brady Bunch in the New York Mystery. Yeah, and Peter, wow. Peter becomes a photographer. That's a huh. great idea. A, photo- a photographer named Peter. How original. <laughs> nice. Thank you. And uh, let's see. Uh, keep going. Uh, there is one thing, but it's just because of the slight difference in the story lengths. On the action ad, page 15 has at the bottom of the page the uh, what we were talking about just a little bit ago with the coming up in the Superman books that tells you what's going to happen in next month's issues of Superman in action. And again, it's using Bronze Age Superman art. And then we get the letters page in action, whereas on page 16 we get, pay- we get the last page of the Superman story with the coming Super Attractions blurb and then the Metropolis mailbag. And like we mentioned, even Superman in Action also has the cool um, information about circulation at the bottom. They didn't print as many copies of Action as they did Superman. 542,000? Really? Yeah, about what? Over, it's about 160,000 different? Yeah. That's it. I'm kind of surprised at that, to be honest, because I always think of Action as the premier Superman book. Yeah, well... Now, see, I know Detective had had problems because they weren't buying... I'm wondering if because it wasn't the Superman book that maybe it wasn't selling as well back then. That's a possibility. I'm just... Because I read... Uh, where did I read it? I think... I, w- I want to say I read that um, right around the time Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle got on Detective, they were almost to a point where they were going to cancel the book. Wow. Yeah, Batman was doing well. But Detective was tanking. So they thought, why not? Let's give it a chance with these guys from England. And they came on, and then they started doing a good job. And, yeah, it saved Detective, basically. Of course, that's, you know, in an interview with Alan Grant, so I'm not sure exactly how accurate that is. But, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe Action was having the same problem. Um, Next up, a few more pages. While the Superman book gets the Aurora AFX ad that we talked about earlier, uh, the action book gets these three big drafting kits. Yeah. That's an exciting ad. Not really. Uh, That guy looks like an exciting... Never mind. But you know what? It is approved for GIs and veterans. Well, there you go. And and during the Vietnam War, that's that's important. Actually, yeah. Uh, let's see now the Superman book next up has Gold Crown which is a bunch of those small miniature figures uh, either and this ad shows that you have either uh, knights fighting other knights or you can get like it looks like a navy and air battle the planes look futuristic but the ships look normal for the Supreme Command and what's in action? That's the super build bodybuilding course. Again. Ooh, and it's in color this time. Yeah, I, did, I never Fancy. needed to see it in color. No. Well, the picture of the guy is still black and white, but... Yeah. It's because he's probably been dead for a while. <laughs> now, next up, uh, while Superman gets that three big drafting kit ad, uh, action gets... The Adventures of Corgi Boy. Yay! I think there needs to be Which, a Corgi Boy podcast. 
Yes. Except not. Yes. <laughs> that would that would go for one episode, wouldn't it? Because yep. I think it's just these ads. But um, that'd be a short episode too. Yeah, this is basically the same ad from last episode or from the last set of issues that we covered when Michael Bradley was on the show. Mm-hmm. So we won't get into that too much. Um, next up, um, action. No. Let's try that again. Superman has 204 Revolutionary War soldiers set for a buck 98. Woohoo! Meanwhile, Action has that draft that first drafting ad again. Weird. The inside back cover of both though has prizes or cash. Don't trust them. Nope. I've talked about this on Pad Smash. They are not to be trusted. They're Fagan operations. And the presents are drawn instead of photographs, so you don't even know that they're real. And on his, as w- like a poodle radio. I mean, come on. Really? I kind of want a poodle radio. Well, you only have to sell eight boxes. Or go to eBay. That's a, <laughs> I'm an adult with a job, Charlie. Oh, well, there's that too, <laughs> yes. That was kind of mean. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I'll edit it out. Actually, that one's kind of funny. As long as, yeah, as, long no, as you aren't offended, don't edit that out. No, 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 just kidding. And then while you're looking that up, the back page has more, another Get Prizes ad, this time by selling seeds. And this time it's the sa- it's basically the same, a similar ad, but this time it's in color. And, yeah, it's the same messed up prizes. They say you can get a complete fishing outfit, but all you get is the fishing reel. I don't know. There's more to it than a that. A fishing pole. Yeah, but um, looking, they they should have a picture of like the pants and shirt you get too. Let me come on. <laughs> but or a waiter. Look at look at the. Uh, I like the little testimonies at the bottom. Now, if you look at the two kids, the, these are two kids. The little boy looks like he's three. And it says American seeds are the best seeds to sell, and selling them is easy. Uh, do you notice that? Well, what kind of seeds are we talking about? Where are they taking us? Well, there's that, but the guy looks, the kid looks like he's three. He's, yeah. He ain't saying. Mike that. Fitzpatrick is, uh, yeah. I don't. Mike, if you're listening, let us know how old you were when they printed this ad. And <laughs> I, I would think he'd be about March five or six. I mean, he looks like he's small for the age, but then again, Brenda looks a little older, demented. Yeah. If everyone planted one pack of seeds, wouldn't the world be nice to look at? She's even selling it in the testimony. Well, here's the, the deal. Here's the deal. I would say that that picture is not Mike Fitzpatrick, and that is not Brenda Jackson. I'm well, going on a limb here. Too. Probably. But, but Mike Fitzpatrick is actually older, as is Brenda Jackson. They're actually adults. More than likely. It's probably the parents of these kids. Yeah. Or they're just making this up altogether. And believe it or not, folks, Dave has found <laughs> yes. that someone is selling on eBay with only six days left the Vintage Poodle Transistor Radio. Uh, <laughs> wow, you can currently buy it now for 27 bucks, or you can start the bidding. No one's bid on it yet. I don't understand that. Um, but yeah, it's... Wow. $10 standard shipping. If I didn't think I would actually end up winning that, I would bid on it just for fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to take it, that risk. Yeah. It's cream color, clean, and from a smoke-free home. Works on a 9-volt battery. What a great find in this condition. And the radio still works. Add this cutie to your collection today. 
I don't think I don't think it would go well in my room. I think Hulk would smash that. Yeah, Hulk. Mine. I don't know where I'd put it amidst all the Transformers and superheroes. Um. So I'm probably not gonna go for it. But good luck, our beanie. <laughs> um. Okay, so after that fun, uh, elsewhere in the DC multiverse this month, uh, going over the Superman or the Superman, the superhero books for the month. First up, we have Batman: Brave and the Bold, number one hundred six, teaming up Batman with Green Arrow with an awesome-looking Jim Aparo cover. The next up is Challengers of the Unknown, number seventy-nine, with an well, awesome Joe Kubert cover, and featuring a monkey. Uh, it's a huge monkey. Mm-hmm. You're going. You're, you're, you've got yours listed in alphabetical order, don't you? Yeah. Is there another way? Yeah. Publication date was how I was doing it. Okay. Let's try that again. Well, we could do it that way if you want. I don't care. We just as long as we're on the same page. Okay. I see. Brave well, I'll and just. Bold. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll we'll keep that in there. We'll, it just won't be next. That's all. Um. Uh, next up. We have Wonder Woman number two hundred five, uh, looking like she's strapped to a big old missile and getting shot at. So that's awesome. Not Wonder Woman in bondage. That never happens. No, and suffering Sappho. If she doesn't stop it, <laughs> she's going to destroy New York. I <laughs> hope she stops it. <laughs> Next up uh, is Mister Miracle number thirteen with a Mister. That is that is a cover penciled by Jack Kirby, but you can tell that the inker kind of. Uh, took that in a realm that it didn't need to go. Yeah, a little bit. Wow, Big Bardo looks... Big. Wow, yeah. And Mr. Miracle is actually, of course, in bondage himself, which is more of his shtick, and with a speeding train coming at him. But it's Kirby bondage, so it looks cool. Yeah. It's not like chain. I bet S&M at Kirby's house was awesome. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he went there. And yet, I can't. <laughs> Um, <laughs> then we have the 100-page Super Spectacular DC number 15 featuring Superboy and a bunch of other people, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, we have it features in here Superboy in one, two, three, four different stories. The Boy Commandos in one story. Aquaman in one story. Hawk and Dove in one story. Sandman in a story, and Dial H for Hero in one story. Yes! I need to reread a lot of those Dial H for Hero backups. So it was really good stuff. And folks, if you don't know who that is, um, it was a pair of teenagers that had these discs with multiple... I mean, obviously it had... I don't think it had the full alphabet, but it had just the word Hero. Whenever they mm-hmm. dialed the word Hero, they became some other form of superhero each time. Yes. It's kind of like... Uh... Somewhat similar to the way that uh, what's his face ben. Captain Marvel does, but because they're usually adult heroes, mm-hmm. but it's like Dave said, it's different every time. Now, was it always two kids? Because I thought before it was just Robbie Reed, and the two kids wasn't until they read or brought it back in the eighties. Uh, that is as that is possible. Most Super stuff Boy I backup. read would have been in the in the eighties in the backup. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not because I'm, I've read those. I've never read the Silver Age stuff, but I'm pretty sure, considering Robbie Reed was on the back cover, I'm thinking, and I know that name, that I'm thinking Robbie Reed was the only one that used it for a while. In fact, he's the one in the. Oh, there is a Miss Millie. 
Robbie Reed becomes zip-tied, supernova, and Robbie the super robot in this story. Just completely wow. random. Mm-hmm. But they were fun. I like I listened to the Superboy backups. Now, yeah, and the Superboy backups, now I know those were actually they actually had people write in and draw their own superhero creations to use mm-hmm. for the stories. I don't know that they did that in the Silver Age, but in the Bronze Age version, the kids uh, kids would actually be able to write in with a superhero name and a design and maybe powers. I don't know if they even if they bothered with that. Yeah, but and yeah, then they, they would, would select a, them. Yeah, a little editor's note when they used it. Yeah, this was a, this was in you know sent in by you know Jennifer Ford of Gambrels, Maryland. Yeah. We'll go with that. Whatever. Um, so that was that. And next up, next up was Wanted, the world's most dangerous villains, number seven, with a Nick Cardi cover. This one featured apparently the Human Streak, which was a Johnny Quick villain, Hawkman, the crimes that couldn't have happened, and the Hour Man with Doctor Glisten. <laughs> okay. Wow, the Silver, the Golden Age. They had some really cool. Yeah. <laughs> they called him the Streak. Anyway. Uh, Commandy, Last Boy on Earth, number four, where Commandy, who's blushing on this cover, uh, is being shot at by the Lion troops again. So it's pretty much like any other issue of Commandy. Oh, I'm sorry, Tigers. This is where we get introduced to Tufton, Prince of Tigers, Master of Men. Yeah, buddy. Okay. Um... (laughs) Hold on, I think I may have messed this up. Okay, no, I did not. And do I need to redo Challengers of the Unknown? No, we'll just leave it at the beginning. Okay. And after that is Legion of Superheroes number two, once again with the Nicholas Cardi cover, uh, which features, uh, well, the Legion of Superheroes. I see we have a Chameleon Boy, Star Boy, Brainiac 5, and Phantom Girl cover with, it looks like Legion fighting the Legion. According to this, the the cover story is the war between Krypton and Earth. I did not know that. But you're right. Looking at the cover, it looks like it's Superboy with Lightning Lad in his original costume and Saturn Girl in her original costume, and I'm guessing that's Colossal that Boy is in his original. Boy, yes. And then he's up against the other one, the others that you mentioned in there. So this is obviously a Silver Age reprint. I see what it is. They went back in half, half of time half of the team went back in time to ancient Krypton, the other half went to ancient Earth. Obviously wackiness ensued, apparently. Oh, it's Legion. Of course it did. And there's also Tommy Tomorrow, even though he gets no cover credit at all. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, let's see. I'm going to mention this one because of who's on the cover. Strange Adventures number 241, featuring Adam Strange in the cloud that menaced two worlds. Now that's a really cool looking cover. Yes, it is. Is that a that is a Nick? That's another Apparently Nick Cardi. Nick, Nick Cardi cover. Yeah. That's sharper than what we normally see. It looks like a Cubert cover. Yeah. It it looks a little bit like a Cubert. Maybe I don't know. We can't get a good view. Maybe he had something to do with it. But yes, that's very much a Nick Cardi woman. True. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's an awesome looking cover with the cloud hands and stuff. I like it. Yep. I'm a big. I I I need to read more Adam Strange. We're learning things today. <laughs> Next up is Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 157, featuring yet another Nick Cardi cover. And this has the strange second life 
off of Jimmy Olsen and a faceless man on the cover that is not the question of all things. Oh, I was going to say something about that. Okay. <laughs> you took it. Oh, well. Sorry. No, no problem. It's not a note. I get to talk about the demon number seven, where he meets up with Etrican, bum, 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 the witch boy. Yeah, that's always fun. Hi! Yes. <laughs> and I only I only say it that way because one of my favorite stories involving Etrigan the Etrigan? No. Featuring the Witch Boy is uh the young Justice Sins of Youth story in which he insisted that everyone referred to him as Bum 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 the Witch Boy. <laughs> Forgot about that. It's actually written that way. And Thank who, you. And who wrote that particular bit? Thank you, Peter Allen David. Yep. Uh moving on. It's another super-related book with Supergirl number four with the borrowed brain. Uh, Supergirl is split down the middle. Apparently half of her is some sort of robot-monster hybrid. I don't even know what's happening here. Looks like a robot face, but a monster hand. Is she Manny Faces? (laughs) Just ten years early? Sure. But wow. Look at that hand. It that those nails need to be manicured or something. Something. Wow, that's that's just piss poor. Um, which I probably shouldn't say on here. Doom Patrol number one twenty three, which is again reprints uh Doom Patrol stories with oh now I have to say it on my own. With the Doom Patrol against the animal vegetable mineral man. <laughs> and this is a reprint of his final appearance. Thank goodness. And we never have to deal with that again. That's hard to say. And then moving on is Detective Comics 433, in which Batman apparently fights the killer in the smog. He looks like he has this mysterious shadow-like character strangling him with a towel of some kind, maybe a sham wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it totally looks like that. And there's apparently a Jason Bard backup. The case of the forged face. And I'm going to include him because he's kind of a hero. He, well, he is a hero. He's not really super, but Tarzan in the trophy. Yay. Yay. Oh, that's Tarzan 218. Sorry, I should probably mention that. And that's it for this month. That was, uh, that was a cool month. Yes, it was, actually. <laughs> uh, David, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to throw in? Um, only that, you know, obviously we do a lot of this off of Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at dcindexes.com. Yes, I forgot to mention it. Yep, and Mike has recently revamped the look and accessibility of the site, and it is phenomenal. It was already a, an above-the-board site. Now it is off the charts. It is so pretty. And since he helps with the show, you know, go ahead and pay him a visit, and you'll be doing yourself a favor, to be honest. Literally, I don't think there's a podcast out there that involves comic books that has does not use his show his site in some way. True. Um, <clears throat> I know I do it. Just about all of the Superman podcast network shows, uh, other than the you know Superman homepage one because they don't specifically talk about comics and the radio or the audio dramas mm-hmm. obviously don't. But beyond that, uh, any of them that actually mention comic books and talk about specific issues of comics such as this one or Crisis on Infinite Earths or uh, or even beyond the Superman stuff Green Lantern's Light yep I'm sure uses this uh, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman uses this uh, John Wilson's Golden Age Superman uses this I believe so yeah 
there. It gets used by a lot of people. And so, Mike, thank you for you having such a fun site, and thank you for fixing it because it looks great now. Yeah, thank you, Mike. You're you're a boon to the industry. Yes. Not that it was messed up before, but I'm going to shut up now before I say something <laughs> I shouldn't say. Um, and that wraps up 2011. Wow. Yes. Yes, it's been quite a year. And let's see, it's been a year and two months since the show started, and it started as a small little solo show, and now I've got a co-host, and we're we've gone from weekly to bi-weekly, and I don't know about you, but I want to say thanks for coming on the show, because this, uh, I don't know, I've gotten, like, it's been like a breath of fresh air, this show has been has gotten even more exciting for me than it was. I, and I agree, you know, because I started this year with Superman Forever Radio, and that was a lonely show, so going on here and really going through an era that I don't know a lot about and learning more and more it's been fantastic so I appreciate you having me oh well thank you I'm just so glad you offered but um and now that we've fluffed each other up so much um <laughs> wow I shouldn't have said that um and now that we've boosted our, each other's egos um we will take our leave thank you all for listening have a happy new year and we will see you again in 2012 peace Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where new episodes are posted bi-weekly. Episodes are also posted at superbronze1970.lipson.com, supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com, amazingworldofsuperman.com, and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to the show via the RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters, and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show. Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Superman is also a copyrighted feature appearing in Superman DC Publications.